<laughs> yeah, that's like the most like perfect. <laughs> what is this, 1996? <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm, for sure. CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin stays in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, March the 30th, three years to the day, I believe, since um, Virginia uh, had that miraculous uh, come-from-behind victory, first to force overtime and then to beat Purdue in uh, the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. Spoiler alert, they won it. Um, Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that basketball program uh, so, sort of give a, a, at least a snapshot for now of where things are on the transfer portal front. Um, Cavaliers certainly going to be shopping this season, um, but already a, a number of, of names um, kind of on the way out. And um, you know, you're not really, you're not really sure when this thing stops turning um, until really the, you know, the next season starts. So we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we're also going to talk about um, spring ball and certainly, you know, work is, is being done. For Tony Elliott and his crew, as as the um, changeover from Bronco Mendenhall staff continues, um, obviously a lot going on this spring in that department as well. Um, got to got to hear from Lavelle Davis for the first time in a long time, which was really refreshing, considering that's such a talented kid and um, pretty engaging kid at that. And then yeah, we're going to talk UVA baseball. Cavaliers are off to a just monster start. Jake Gulloff is like the best third baseman in baseball uh, or some nonsense. I mean, it's just absurd. I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to find out he's like half not human or something. Um, but anyway, we, we're going to do all that and then some. Let Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber's on the program. How's it going, my dude? I almost panicked because I forgot that I was going first. Um, <laughs> I was like, in Loudon? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's me. Um, yeah, that is me. I just underscore Ferber on Twitter. Uh, and in Charlottesville, uh, managing editor Damon Dillman is also on the program. How's it going, my friend? I'm just great. Thanks for having me on. It's yeah. always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I love it. At Damon, when, uh, when when I moved to Charlottesville, how are you going to differentiate me and Damon in the intro? I guess when, it depends on you know. I don't know. I don't want to ruin. When your way. do Hold you on. move to Charlottesville? Wait, 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 wait. Stop. At Cavs underscore. Tw- wow. At Cavs underscore corner on Twitter. At Ca- wow, wow. At Cavs Shazam. underscore. Co- can y'all stop? Cavs corner tour. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in-game updates and content items and the occasional banter. I'm going to leave all that in. I'm not even going to try to clean that up. I'm just going to leave it Ka-chow. in. You know why? Because I don't do anything. I don't have Put any responsibilities now anyway. All right. Yeah. So, uh, no, I think, I think what we will do is uh, once Ferber moves is that I, I'm not going to ruin your opsec here. I'm not going to be like from, you know, from East Charlottesville or West Charlottesville. Yeah, you don't need street names. Um, I, I think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to come up with some little funny thing to do. Um, I just haven't decided what that thing is yet. I'm technically in the county. That's pretty funny stuff right there. That That's the foundation of some comical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Let's get to transfer portal season. Um, you know, 
and I guess we should talk a little bit about recruiting in general because there's a fairly big announcement coming in the next couple of days um, that could go UVA's way. And should that happen, um, I, I still want to refer to him as a five-star, even though I know Rivals has moved him to, to a four in February. Um, that's not my – for anybody. No, Brad, you moved him. You <laughs> moved him to a four. <laughs> and, uh, everything terrible is my fault. Um, <laughs> everything is my fault. Um, no, like uh, it's one of those rare times where you. I just want everybody to know that the, that the mothership, that Damon nor I have anything to do with ratings and uh, rankings and such. Um so please don't bring your I want to say pitchforks, but that's like a whole different connotation now. All right. Um so London Johnson. Yeah, you don't want gonna, him showing up to your John Prine shows, you know. Wow. So London Johnson's gonna commit on Friday. Um I, I think everybody and their brother kind of has a feeling for where this goes. The question, at least as of now, that which has not been answered publicly, is whether or not uh it will be for twenty two or twenty three. Uh we're gonna let him speak to that, uh you know, in terms of his his decision and, and what his plans are um beyond that what though, would you say the chances are that it goes a different way don't do this to me yeah that's don't, probably not fair don't do this to me because well i just say that because uva had a ton of momentum in this recruitment and then it kind of went dark but i mean obviously he was playing high school basketball so like yeah, i don't think that's a reason for people to panic or anything. no listen i fully expect virginia to be the choice and and if it and if something has happened um, look, the way this typically works, if folks want to know how the sausage gets made here, is in a situation like this, if something goes south, you hear about it well in advance of a decision, right? You don't have a situation where people are like waiting for an announcement and then one comes, right? There's some other thing that happens, some other event, some sort of tentpole sort of moment that you can point to. In the case of somebody like, um, oh God, what was the kid's name who went to tech? I like the 11 and Greg Stroman, Greg Stroman. And in the case of Stroman, that wasn't there. Right. Which, so at any time somebody puts me on the spot about a kid that I think UVA is going to get, um, you know, when I haven't actually spoken to the kid to say so, I'm always like, oh, man, I don't want to. There was that other dude from D.C. I think his name was I think it was Noah Boykin. Was that his name? Yeah. Who was yeah. like everybody was like, he's going to UVA. And like literally he made his decision to go to Notre Dame as he was like walking up uh, yeah. to the stage. Yeah. He told people right on the way to the stage it was going to be UVA and he changed his mind like that quick. Um, but no, so I, look, I think I think it's it's going to be UVA and we'll talk next week if that's the case about what that means. And if it's not, you know, maybe that'll get part of the whole bigger conversation about recruiting and, and high school recruiting, transfer recruiting, all this stuff. I'm going to try to stay away from that for this episode um, if we can simply because I think it's a good topic for next week and I want to give some more time for there to be more conversation about it. Uh, or at least more, not necessarily conversation, more um, time for, for decisions to get made and things to be announced and such. Um, but in terms of the portal and in terms of sort of where things are, obviously at this point, uh, Carson McCorkle is the only scholarship player to announce his intentions to leave. Um, certainly, um, you know, Jaden Nixon and um, uh, Malachi. Malachi Poindexter, sorry, I was drawing a blank, uh, have also announced. I think this is actually... The pride a, of mineral. I, I think this is an interesting development, uh, which I've noticed this in other places too, where guys who were walk-ons enter the portal after getting some time here or there, um, simply because this is their way to sort of, um, you know, work into a scholarship situation. Um, in Malachi's, you know, um, specific circumstances, right. He actually got burned this year. So he's got film. Like he can put something out there for people to see that. And he, he had some interest coming out of high school. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
So I mean, and and I and I and I hope that folks are having a little bit of a different view on the portal. Certainly, UVA has benefited greatly um, from guys who have come in, you know, even before the days of the portal, back in the Anthony Gill realm, you know. Um, but the fact that that at this point, one scholarship guy's in, um, probably a situation with Carson where. <sighs> It, it probably is in both sides' best interest, right? If he wasn't given what UVA needed at guard this year, if he wasn't getting minutes this year, it probably wasn't going to be, uh, wasn't going to change, right? It wasn't going to just um, flip flop on you. Uh, he wasn't all of a sudden going to come back next year and get minutes over McNeely or um, whoever. Um, but in terms of the portal, Ferber, is there a guy out there that you've seen that is available? Whether whether there's been reported interest from UVA side or not, but is there anybody out there that you you look at and you say, "Yep, that's a guy. That's that's the dude they need to get." Yeah, I mean, you see a bunch of guys. I don't have like one specific guy to be honest with you, but you know, you see a bunch of guys that come out, especially mid-major guys that scored a lot of points, and um, you're like, "Oh man, I wonder if UVA is going to be interested in that guy." And then you see UVA interest. Like I know that they're on the kid from Kentucky, um, Allen. Is that his Allen. last name? Yeah. Dante, Dante yeah. Allen. Dante. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's interesting, but you know, he didn't really have like a very productive run there. Um, honestly, like I said last week, it's more of a type for me. It's guys that can shoot um, twos. Uh, I thought the Brandon Murray from LSU was an interesting one and UVA is in there with like a bunch of other schools. So I wouldn't necessarily get too excited about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that was, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, how would that work? Would he play like off the ball sometimes on the ball other times? Cause he's a point guard. Um, but I mean, I guess it can work cause they do like to have multiple ball handlers, but yeah, I, I think a guy that can, uh, shoot and handle the ball. Right. So I think those are, are key. And it seems like, I mean, we've talked about them adding bouncy bigs like last week and it doesn't seem like they've offered as many of those guys. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it feels like they've offered more guards. So it seems like that might be where their priority is. The problem is you, you run into a situation where it's like, what is that person gaining by coming here? Right. So it's like um, if they get a guy from like Ohio had the dude who averaged 18 points a game, like their guard um, enter the portal. Like I don't see how that guy really benefits unless the coaching staff can tell him and, and feel good about telling him that he's going to come in and start over the guys they already have and the guys that are coming in. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case for a lot of guys. So I think you might be looking at like a role player type guy that wants to play on a, a, com- a competitive power conference team. Um, yeah. I also, I don't know if you wanted to get into high school stuff, but uh, Malik Renew. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Re- yeah. I w- that was kind of where I was going to go next is like, I don't, I don't know if they have a shot there or not, but like that's definitely worth monitoring if, if, if they're in the mix. And, and one thing that's, that's somewhat, you know, I know that for a lot of fans in their perfect world, you know, there's two or three seniors every year and each class is two or three guys and you're not really bringing in these monster groups. But if you look at what they've already got coming, right. And if you add an, another 22, right. You know, if, if London Johnson recline, whatever, however that works out, like that's a very large group, which puts you in a bind. But as I've been trying to explain to people, I feel like for a couple of years now, like the transfer portal really does change a lot of calculus. And I think for UVA, it's got to change it even more in the sense of like in the old days, it was so, you know, remember that um, Katie Harrell class, that group, uh, right. And there were a yeah, bunch Joe of dudes that left at one time. And all of a sudden, James they were Johnson, exactly. I think it ended up just being Joe and Akil at the end, but it was yeah, like six. They were the only with. ones left. 
And so that whole, that whole season was like such a such a grind because they just didn't have any dudes. And I talked to several people who said, for, for you know, I don't know if he said it word for word, but basically turns like, look, we're, this is never going to happen again. And so then they started trying to fill every spot. But then it became pretty obvious that you can't do that, right? Like you can't have a full roster because you start to you start to invest time and development energy into guys and then they would leave. And so what they started doing was leaving a couple spots open. They would develop the guys they had. They played their seniors. You know, they had a real, you know, they they put a real emphasis on development. And certainly when when Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome came in, you know, remember that season there was so much anim, you know angst about DeAndre Hunter redshirting and everything. As you look back on it now, the idea that you could get a guy who was that talented to redshirt um, is it's it's hard to you know absent of an injury or an illness or some other extenuating circumstance, like it's hard to fathom like how that would work out. That's not to say that UVA won't redshirt one of these freshmen coming in this year. You know who knows? That's you know everybody has a different sort of mindset in terms of like how they feel like their career is going to go. Trey Murphy was completely on board with redshirting, right? He he only really put in the waiver because everybody else was put in the waiver, right? He didn't do it because he was like desperate to play. He was completely content to red shirt, spend his year getting bigger and stuff. And now look at him. Right. But my, my, my point like 17 turns ago was that, you know, the, the transfer portal has changed to this change things to the extent that now UVA is almost back to the other way, which is like, well, no, you just have to kind of fill your roster with guys expect that some of them are going to leave and expect that you can fill those spots in the portal in a way that you you couldn't back to when James Johnson and KT and them guys left, right? Like, you couldn't do but then what you can do now. Um, and I think as we look back on last year and you look at what they got in the portal, you know, Gardner and Franklin were certainly two really nice pickups. Um, but given where the roster ended up being, you know, they needed more. And I think that as they go through this offseason – that's going to make, be made a little bit murky because there's so much more talent coming in this class. So looking at a, at a kid like, you know, Ramo, like that's a real, real possibility that also sort of feels more like Virginia's way versus just bringing in another um, transfer. That being said, I think they're going to be super active throughout this entire time frame, especially until you get a sense of, you know, official announcements from kids, you know, going public about what their plans are. Um, you know, you I have think they probably learned dudes. some lessons from this season. Just like, I don't, I'm not saying they like took Gardner and Franklin and we're like, we're good now, but it's, it kind of felt that way. It's like, all right, like we're done adding for this class. Right. So yeah, maybe it's like you just build until you have a complete team or whatever. So I wasn't, I wasn't just out of curiosity, how early on, cause I wasn't completely tuned in on this stuff. Uh, Last offseason, how early on did Gardner and Franklin commit to UVA? Did they land those guys once this whole that whole cycle um, got rolling? Do you remember? It was, it was pretty it quick, was, right? It was pretty quick, but they were like, I would say it was like the second wave of people. Yeah. So yeah. like there were some dudes who went quick and that and honestly, like I don't know how to say this without it sounding bad, but like I don't necessarily think those two dudes were like at the very top of their board. Maybe Gardner. Gardner. Yeah, but like they missed on a, I mean, or they didn't, I wouldn't say they missed, but they didn't get a couple of like really highly sought after guards. Um, and then Franklin was like, oh, he's like now one of the best guys available. And so they, they got him. Um, 
but there were some other guys that were out there. And it's like NFL like, free agency. Those guys yeah. get the big contracts and then you go back. And then yeah. there's like a trickle down. Yeah. yeah. And like, I remember like Fleming, the dude from Charleston Southern who went to Florida. Yeah. Um, they were yeah, involved with that Trey Wade dude who went from Wichita state to Arkansas and, and right. ended up playing a lot for Arkansas. Um, and there were some others, but yeah, I mean, but they also like, I think they were a little late in some ways because they had guys, they had more guys leave than I think they probably expected. Yeah. They had, so they were like a little slow to get yeah. into the mix. If that makes sense. And I think yeah. one of the things too, is that Tony loves to have these exit interviews, right? But because of sort of the nature of the season and when they, when they got put out of the tournament and everything, like you would think that there was some sort of element of jumping on things, but there were a bunch of guys at that point who were already in. Um, and it also made it weird because you guys weren't taking necessarily taking visits and stuff like this is a very different one in the sense that like guys will actually be able to, to take trips. Yeah. And, which is not something that's happened the last couple transfer um, seasons. Um, I personally feel like if you look at their roster and what it's projected to be, you know, a guard is the thing that I've consistently heard is where they what they're what they're going to be looking for. Um, I, I think I think even if you know, no matter what happens, that's the thing they got to get for next year. Like they need a guy who can play right away. Um, preferably, I think for them, somebody who can not only handle the ball but also somebody who can shoot it. I, I don't think you can go with another sort of slasher type guard. You need somebody who can score, um, somebody who can handle the ball but also score. And I feel like. It wouldn't surprise me if they also went. I mean, I, I mean, at this point, the only thing that would surprise me is if they sat it out. Honestly, um, a guard, a bouncier big, hell, even a, a more muscly big. Like they, they just need bodies because right now, if you think about what's their post options next year, um, their post option are the two dudes that they had this year, and basically sort of hoping that Trout can really come in and play you know a lot right away but we all know from a physical standpoint like he's that he's a very multi-skilled big but he's not he's not going to be able to come into the ACC and bang right not right away he, you know he might be able to benefit from some time with with Mike Curtis and everything but like he's not going to he's not going to be able to fill that sort of role for a team next year um you know and I understand that like they've got other talent coming in I, I think Bond is actually a, you know people seem to lose track of him when they talk about the class um but because I think you know he might not be the scorer that DeAndre were, was, but I think defensively he's going to give them something they haven't had since Braxton, which is a dude who can just sort of really get after people at multiple positions. Um, that physicality and that athleticism is something they just have not had, um, you know, with consistency. But I ultimately like the thing about the transfer portal is that like everything can change on one kid's decision to jump in. And it's not even necessarily a kid who Virginia wants to go and get. It could be a kid who jumps in and he's like, you know, 18 points a game, such, such, such for some, uh, you know, mid-major team. And now all of the schools who maybe were looking at these other guys, right, now suddenly start to, you know, the Kentuckys and, and such and such of the world. Things aren't really going to pick up on that front until like sometime like after next week, right? So you're talking about after Easter, right? Because you got to wait for you got to wait for other teams that are still in it. And the fact that it's these four teams in the final four, I, I think actually does impact the portal a little bit because those are teams that historically, right, have had a lot of success. And some of those teams are the, are the teams where you're getting guys who are leaving or getting guys who might, you know, not just want to go to the NBA, but just leave in general, right? Like they're, they're teams that have guys who leave. They are teams who have guys that leave because they know they're probably not going to play. Because that, those teams are looking to go shopping in the portal, um, so I feel like there's there is going to be some some reverb there. There's going to be some 
um, you know, some impact. But ultimately for Virginia, I feel like, man, it, it does feel like it's going to be a pretty interesting shopping season the next few weeks or next Yeah, weeks. I just went back and looked last year, by the way, because I was like, who else were like the big transfer targets? Um, like Walker Kessler was oh, one. That's right. They were in the Kessler. And then oh, there was yeah. another Powell. kid. Yeah, was it the kid that was Just, supposed to be rumored with him to go? Justin Powell. Powell. That was right. Powell. He, he went. To, yeah. And then like Trey Mitchell from UMass, Garrison Brooks. Um, Garrison Brooks. Helen Grady, who went to Davidson, or ah, from Davidson yeah. to Kentucky. Um, the dude from Penn State who went to Florida, Oscar Shibway, who they weren't really involved with the second time around, I don't think. Um, yeah, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, UVA did definitely get in the mix with some of these dudes. Noah Harrison Locke. Brooks got to play a home game at JPJ. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, Noah Locke, Chris Likes. I don't think UVA was really involved with Chris uh, Likes. I think, but... I think Noah Locke, they, were, they, they had a cup of coffee with. Yeah. At least a conversation, right. you know, because he was a guy they really liked coming out of high school. Um, yeah. So, like, but then, you know, like, for example, if, if Jalen Withers decided to leave Louisville, right, um, you know, I know the Williamson kid has left, but I mean, like, there's a lot of talented players that Virginia has recruited in past cycles. Um, you know, I just feel like the next week or so should be very interesting. It might, it might actually hold until after the national championship is decided, but I feel like the next week or so sh- could be really interesting. Um, it, just in the sense of not just the names that come out, but also like this first weekend, like because it is the Final Four and everything. Like there won't be quite as much, you know, rubber meat in the road. But man, some of those decisions, they they really will have, you know, a butterfly effect. So I'm really curious to see how that all shakes out. And like I said, we're gonna have a much better, you know, much deeper discussion about um, recruiting and and sort of Virginia's model um, coming up soon. Um, I, I know that's been a topic of conversation. I waded in on waded in waded in on on Twitter um, the, the other night. Or the other day, because I, I I don't know. I understand where people are coming from. They're frustrated because these last few classes have not been the same. Yeah, haven't been to the level of this year's class or 2016. But certainly, if you don't give them credit for what they did in the transfer portal, you're not really having a discussion about recruiting. You're having a discussion that might as well, you know, land in like 2002. Like, ultimately, everything that happens both in high school recruiting in a traditional sense and in, in terms of the portal matters. And frankly, I would argue that the, that it matters every bit as much, if maybe even not more, um, simply because what Virginia has done on the recruiting side for so long is to find guys, you know, to Tony's point, that you know they can lose with guys who they can develop, guys who fit what they want. Well, you have to find now is like guys who are already built that way, right? Guys who have skill sets that you already, you know, you don't have to do a whole lot of molding of that clay. You can just sort of throw them in there. Um, and that's gonna, you know, if as we've seen with 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 transfers, some of them, you know, work really well, some of them haven't worked as well. And I feel like Virginia's got to do, um, you know, a lot of heavy lifting in this transfer season to get guys who can play right away because that team actually could be pretty good from a talent standpoint. They're they're going to be infused, you know, just off the bat. The trick is finding the right mix of guys because you are trying to replace, you know one of your most experienced players in a long time at Kihei, regardless of whether or not, you know, we look at him and think like, you know, that that was a, that's a spot that is going to be hard for them to replace or whatever. Uh, before we move to football, you guys got anything else on the hoops front? Not really. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of like you were saying, kind of a wait and see mode right now, taxiing on the runway until. Yeah. I mean, you got to know who's actually leaving to down. know how much space you yeah. have and everything too. But I mean, we, Again, like I've said this on other things, but like we don't always have the information, but the coaches might, you know, 
Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about a little spring football. I, I got to be honest. Lavelle Davis being available, being on the field, having a number um, warms my heart because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad to see that guy back. Damon, in in terms of what you've seen so far and what and what you've heard, what's what's been standing out to you? Is, is there anything specific that's 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 really um, you know stuck with you? With Lavelle or or well, just in, I just meant in just general. In I mean, general. if it's if it is Lavelle being back, hey, I'm I'm all hey, we can have that conversation. Because I was the you know I was the che- main cheerleader of the Lavelle MF Davis, <laughs> but I'm just curious like as you've you know talked to various coaches and players and and such, just any what what's really stood out to you so far? Yeah, I think it's been interesting that the first couple of coaches we've talked to uh, beyond Tony Elliott after the first practice, um, it, it's been Hagens and Sintem and now Two J the other day the three the three assistants who were retained from the previous staff, and you can just kind of sense that that uh that renewed excitement and it's the same with guys who are who are back from uh obviously most all these guys i guess are back from the previous regime but but there's just like this renewed enthusiasm this renewed excitement i'll be interested to see saturday morning is the next open window of practice and that'll be the first 30 minutes at scott stadium and it'll it's just it'll be interesting to see what that looks like in regards to you know, you, you guys went to enough practices under the old staff where things that that first spring seemed really unusual just became the norm because it's how they did it. But now it's back to like you feel like you're a football practice again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it felt like last week at that first practice. And there, it, not that there was there was clearly an enthusiasm under the under the previous staff, but it was just a different vibe. Uh, I talked about it last week about how Elliot brings a completely different vibe on a personal level to practice on an individual level, I should say, uh, than Bronco did. So just the more we hear from guys and the more just this, those assistant coaches who are back and their excitement about being back and being a part of this new transition and, and the way things are even talking to recruits, recruits who were recruited by the previous staff. And uh, now we're now we're getting to know Tony Elliott and some of the other new coaches on the staff. They talk about the new optimism and new energy. And so, yeah, it's you can gen, you can genuinely kind of feel that. And yeah. like it, it, it's not like again, I, I don't want to make it sound like you know it was all doom and gloom and, and a miserable place to go when Bronco and his staff were there because that was not the case. But there's just something different. It's like a spark has been relit. I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and that, yeah, that's, it's genuinely noticeable. I want to say something that I don't think we've talked about publicly, which was, um, I, I think it's fair at this point, you know, we're this far enough past post breakup. Um, there was a lot of, um, how do you phrase this? A lot of like, uh, inspiring inspiration through negativity, right? The idea of like, instead of having a sort of positive outlook, right? I heard I heard this from various folks around the program that, you know, there was a lot, there was definitely an old school mentality to, yes. you know, to things. And it certainly seemed like guys, instead of necessarily just always being sort of like in uh, motivated and such by their pop, by, by what they could do well, it was much more a, you know, a focus on what you didn't do right. Um, there was much more of a negative sort of connotation to it. And a, a lot fear of, the guys, of screwing up. Yeah, exactly. Per, yeah. Very well put. And so, I wonder in, in 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 and again just kind of watching um, how things are sort of unfolding. It feels like in so many ways, like Tony is 
has such a uh, a, a, an in, a kind of a a way to look at things that feels similar. But I feel like the delivery is just so different. I've talked before about him. You know, he just feels like a football coach. But it's he he has expectations for his players. There's no way around that, right? He certainly is a guy who has expectations for what he wants this thing to look like, and he needs these guys to get themselves to a place to execute on that, right? But I don't get the sense from him is that guys are fearful, you know, in terms of the way that they may have been before. And what I mean by that is like, you know. You're you didn't do something in practice correctly, you know. Certainly, there were consequences, right? Um, that's not new, right? That happens in a lot of programs, right? Push ups and and you know um, down ups or whatever, right? Gassers and that kind of thing, right? You, you, it's not uncommon to see a you know receiver drops a pass, comes out, you know, does some push ups or whatever. But it seemed like for for the previous staff, that was a lot more prevalent in other ways, like or throughout the thing. That you just get the sense that like some of these guys might feel like they're actually been freed a little bit, like there's a renewed. There's always a, you know a coaching change brings with it sort of a, a new lease on life, so to speak, right? Players who maybe weren't seeing the field, and we're going to see a lot of that on defense, I think, this season, right? Guys who weren't playing a lot, get, all of a sudden they're getting time. They have the what they feel like is a new opportunity because they're new coaches. They haven't seen what they've done. You know, they, they're able to sort of be in a different um, sort of situation. Uh, I, I just wonder if some of these guys don't feel a little freer, and I'm curious how what that's going if if that if that's the case, what does that look like? Certainly, you know, you get to interviews and stuff like you know you can sometimes tell, but some of these kids are guys we haven't talked to, right? Some of these guys are are going to be dudes that we just haven't really heard from, nor have we really seen them on the field. So, what's it going to look like if that's the case? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I I I think that's a great uh, a great way of putting it. Again, just. Using Nick Jackson, we talked to Nick Jackson. When was that on uh, on Saturday? You could just tell that he is a, I don't know. There there was just something a little different in uh, not in a bad way. Just I want to say maybe a little bit more of an edge. And I think some of that probably comes with being one of the one of the few veteran guys uh, at his position and on his on the defense. But uh, I think so. And obviously, I think some of that comes too from the way the defense as a whole struggled last year. But I yeah, there's just he had a little bit seemed to have a little bit more of an edge to him. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, yeah. so yeah, just, just using him as the, the first example that popped into my head, but definitely. Ferber, have you seen anything in terms of like, I don't know, scheme that have, you know, I mean, obviously there's not a whole lot of like football. football <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what do we there. have to work with? <laughs> but I'm just, but I, when I say that, what I mean is like hearing, you know, different coaches talk or different players talk. Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, you know, if any, I mean, like, for example, 2 talking about the offensive line and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of putting it back together. There certainly has been a, a, a very, like, loud emphasis about running the ball, right? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. But <laughs> yeah. other than, so yeah, let, let, yeah, give it to me. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, like, I, I just, we haven't really seen a lot of practice stuff that indicates, you know, scheme stuff. But, you know, I, I am interested, you know, when the spring game comes around and, and whatever access we do get, you know, before that, like the emphasis on the running game, how, how does that manifest itself in year one? Like, do they, especially with a quarterback that, you know, is proven and, and threw the ball quite a bit last year, do they say, you know what, like to win this year, we still kind of keep things pass heavy and, you know, influ- you know, bring in some run scheme stuff um, or do we, 
just go full board and switch things up and, and be more of a run heavy team right. than we were. Right. I think it'll probably be somewhere in between the two, but you know, the guy that I think could emerge is, is Mike Collins. Um, you know, I don't know the the depth chart running back right now, but I would have to assume he's got a good shot to be number one, given what he's done in his career relative to his teammates. Um, and then with, you know, Wayne gone. So, I mean, I think, I think he has shown flashes of, of real potential throughout his career. And I would say maybe even a little underutilized just based on what we've seen. So I'm hoping that he gets kind of unleashed in in this fall season. Damon, as, as you've talked to coaches, what, what are folks, what are the things that people need to be prepared for, for, for what's different? Cause it certainly feels like to, to Ferber's point and, and the conversation about running the ball, like it definitely feels like to me, like, Brendan Armstrong is going to have a different sort of season. And I'm curious what your vibe has been so far. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see because the other thing that's interesting is that it sounds like he's going to be under center a lot more, uh, not in shotgun all the time. And I, I, I'm assuming a lot of that is, you know, to set up play action and, and, uh, or just, you know, to, to further that dedication to the run game and, and what that kind of, how that will impact the offense. So, but yeah, it'll definitely, I don't think, I don't know. I'd be really surprised if come October, mid October, we're crunching numbers to see how close he is to breaking all sorts of school and ACC records. Like we were last season. I just don't think they're going to, um, I, I, cause I mean, last year they were just determined to throw the ball. Right. Uh, whether they were down, whether they were up, whether they're like, you remember, like they should have. (laughs) Yeah. Some, yeah. Whether they should throw to a left tackle, uh, but, but no, uh, not to get, but no, like for whatever reason, they were just dead set on throwing the football last year. And now I don't think they're going to come in here and this new coaching staff is going to come in here and they're going to look like, you know, a late eighties NFL offense where it's just, you know, three, three yards in a cloud of dust. And I do think there will be, when they say they want to be more balanced, I do think there will be balance. And obviously the skill position players, the playmakers they have on that offense, they, they'd have, they have to throw the ball around. They have to get guys like Lavelle Davis, Dontavian Wicks, Keaton Thompson, guys like that involved. Uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how involved the tight ends are um, you get the sense that that's where some of the touches are going to come away from um, if they're going to run the ball more since there's right. no Jelani Woods across the middle. Right. So I don't know if that'll necessarily be as big of a part of the uh, of the offense um, because the touches have to come from somewhere, right? If, uh, if they're going to the running backs more and they say they want to get the running backs involved in the passing game more too, which to Ferber's point, I think Holland showed flashes in that regard last year too. Um, and he could maybe be more of a, a factor in that regard too. So yeah, they're going to, so they're going to have to find ways to get all these guys involved. They're still going to throw the ball, but they're not going to throw the ball as, as frequent. What did they throw last year? Close to 65, 70% of the time. I think it was. I and now, and, and any of the rest was run were runs that were just not even in a traditional sort of sense. Right. right. Like Keaton Thompson was running or Brennan was keeping it himself. Like or they were giving I, it to the backup quarterback kid. Who's no longer there. Dude, when they gave numbers out the other day, I was looking at numbers and I was just like, "All right, this has to be the most absolutely banana, but like completely bananas wide receiver group that Virginia's ever had in the spring." Right? Lavelle Davis, Dontavian Wicks, Billy Kemp. All right, 
just that off the stop, just those three dudes. Then you add in Keaton, right? Who, you know, they don't list him to this. Yeah, they do list him at wide receiver now. Yeah, right. they moved it. So now you've also got Malachi Fields. You got the Chandler kid coming in transfer. You got Starling, right? Then you, then you've also got Dak Twitty coming in. Um, and the, if the, you know, the we we've been waiting for the Beal kid to to you know have a moment, um, you know, to to kind of get on the field, dude. I mean, has the I don't know if the wide receiver group ever has ever been that deep in spring ball before. Um, and yet you think about it, you're like we, we're talking so much about them running the ball to have one of the ACC's best quarterbacks you know in a long time in ter- at least in terms of you know production coming back and have those wide receivers it's just it's just wild to me and at the same mm-hmm. time it makes total sense i just i i don't know man I, i'm very curious to what 2j and them do on the offensive line i think that's going to be very interesting to sort of see play out i feel like they should be able to run the ball considering what you just said like yeah yeah. If you have that many guys you have to account for, it's like you should be able to get some advantages in the box. Like, yeah. you know, they don't have a tight end really this year like they did last year, but um, or at least like a known commodity. But, yeah, I mean, I think they have such a diversity of weapons. It's not just the depth at wide receiver. It's like how good the guys are at the top too. Um, like they have some really good receivers. So I think, you know, if they, I'm assuming we'll see some similar sets to what Anai ran. A lot of shotgun, a lot of spread stuff. Um, I'm assuming you'll probably get some advantages in the box in terms of numbers if if you can spread defenses out. Going to be interesting, that's for sure. All right, um, we're about 37 minutes and change in here. I think now is a good time to transition over to the baseball program. We have not nice timestamp there. Timestamp. <laughs> That if I, I wish I had I wish I had the the gumption to make that the title of the episode. Um, no, we kid, we kid. All right, so Damon in the pantheon of really good UVA baseball teams. Before we get into discussion specifically about where this one is right now, I'm just curious in terms of like the the sort of roll call of it all. Where does this one, at least as of now, in terms of talent and potential to get to Omaha to win the whole thing? where they sit right now what's the vibe to you yeah i mean, I mean it, you were right. in the documentary i mean come on <laughs> i mean it, it it's this team is right there at this stage in the game uh right about at the halfway point of the season this team's right there with with some of the best teams oaks ever had like you think about some of the best teams oak had and you know obviously the teams that have been to omaha uh 09 10 11 uh Every 13 was a great team. 13 just ran into a uh, a buzzsaw Mississippi State team that came in here in a super regional. That team wound up making the College World Series finals. That was a great team, too. Then, obviously, 14 and 15, those were back-to-back College World Series teams. This team's right there. I mean, what they were doing – and I, I know there's the argument that they didn't play, like, a tough non-conference schedule to start. Uh, Cornell, Penn State. Some of those teams they played the first week, and NJIT was a, a yeah an NCAA tournament team last year. But I mean, still, you what the way they've dismantled teams? Yeah, to this you're winning point and winning season, by big margins. Yeah, like, they were like when they were hanging double digit runs on the board every game. It's just it's it's and I mean even now that they're in ACC play, like they've gone out and taken the first two games and all three weekends. Um, They've had opportunity. They've they're one and two on Sunday. 
uh, which is crazy because those are their only two, not just their only two ACC losses, but their only two losses on the season. So, and they're doing it with like sometimes like three or four freshmen in the lineup. It's, it's crazy how quickly this team hit the ground running. And it's, it's just, it built that crazy momentum in non-conference play. And now it's been able, it's kind of the opposite of last season. Last season was weird because they only had one weekend of non-conference before they got into ACC play. Cause the schedule was different because of uh, the adjustments they made for COVID. Uh, and they, they scuffled uh, obviously they went down and lost two out of three Chapel Hill, lost two out of three in Florida State, then came home and got swept by Notre Dame. It's literally the exact opposite of the way they started this season. Um, How much do you feel like the the surprising sort of run they went on last year to go to Omaha like fueled this? Or like, yeah, I think. Or was funny, this going to happen always? You know, it's funny you ask that because I asked that question the other day. I've I've been because especially because. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to write this story for later, later in the week. But there's the symmetry there of the first weekend of April last year where they went to Georgia Tech, and that's basically when, when the season was on the line, and they lost that first game, then won the next two, and that was their first series win, and that kind of got them going. And then compare that to now we're going into the first weekend of April, and it's Georgia Tech coming to town this weekend, and like I said, it's like the exact opposite. So yeah, I do think. A lot of those guys, because so many that like Devin Ortiz, Alex Tapping, Chris Newell, Jake Geloff, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys, Max Cotier, and then some of the pitchers too. Like those guys were a part of that turnaround last year. And, and like talking to a couple of them, like Ortiz said the other night, it's, it's like basically they don't want to put themselves in that position again where they have to rally the way they did last year. Um, and, and, and they kind of brought that mentality into this year. And you can see how that's kind of worked out. Now it's crazy. Baseball America um, did their first, uh, I guess it's college baseball bracketology, the equivalent. And they have UVA as the number three overall seed, which would mean it's crazy to me that it's been 2016, six years since there's been a regional weekend at, at UVA. That's crazy to me. Yeah, that's wild. Like, it, it just seems like that was like a right of, of summer. Like that first weekend in June, you just sat there and sweated all week. And then a lot of super regionals. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. But to answer your original question, this team's right there with the way they're playing right now. Offensively, this is this is the best team in program history, on pace to be anyway. Uh, we'll see if they can maintain this pace. But they're hitting the ball out of the park at a pace that that the program's never seen before especially under Oak, they've kind of, they've kind of tinkered the mindset. So the, the approach and to like, to be blunt, I think the coaching staff, they, they haven't come out and really admitted it, but I think they've really kind of like loosened the reins on guys. And, you know, even with two strikes, if they get a pitch, they think they can hit out of the park, let it rip. And that has not always been the, mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 yeah. the preferred approach of right. the coaching staff. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's – we saw some of that down the stretch last year too where they kind of eased up and let the guys yeah. – And then let, you've seen the them do it play. now, so it's yeah, like exactly. you, know, you know they can. Yeah, so I think that's a big part of it too. You know, when you first said that, oh, I feel like this was like a couple weeks ago 
we were the we were the group of us were talking. Crap, did we even say where Dave was? I'm sorry. Dave Dave was tied up with work tonight. He's 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 still on the show. We we didn't kick him off or anything. Um but we were, the group we were talking about and you said that and it reminded me of like the Ty Jerome Kyle guy for freshman season where it was like Tony sort of realized like at some point like all right, I just need to play these kids, live with whatever defense they've got they give me. Try my best to get them where they need to be and then let their offense sort of, you know, lift the boat. And as as the more the you know as as that happened, he realized like oh okay like well, this can work and we can just keep doing this. And I wondered when you said that oh, you know a while ago if if Oak's not doing something similar right where it's like y- you let you let them do you know kind of freelance a little bit more and then they have success doing it and so there's trust there right as opposed to you know kind of playing it a little bit more conservatively. Is there a weakness for this team? That you guys see, like, is there is there a thing that says, well, you know, they're really good, but is there is there a spot that you that makes that gives you some some reason for pause? I mean, they're twenty two and yeah. two. <laughs> well, I, I know, but, no. but sometimes you can look at me and say, no, well, know. you know, no. they have, you know, it's think, it, they have. So, really what do you think is what's, so? What's happening on Sundays? Is it like a that's what I was going to say? That's yeah. probably uh, Neek's been shaky. Brandon Neek's been shaky the last couple of Sunday starts. Um, he's he hasn't thrown five full innings in the, in his last three starts. He's been walking more guys. Um, so if that was the first thing that popped into my head was if you're looking for a weak spot in this team, it's been the way Neek's kind of struggled as a Sunday guy. But then, I don't know, Jake Berry got the spot start last Saturday because Gursky was sick and he goes out and throws five no-hit innings. So again, he's probably the next guy up. Oaks, I, I'd be surprised if Oak had a quick had a quick hook uh and made some adjustments um like no no disrespect to to griff mcgarry but it's not like neek has not struggled to that degree yet and it took them a while to move on from griff mcgarry in the weekend rotation last year so they value veteran guys and they like to respect give them the opportunity to wait work their way out of it so but I mean, Barry could very well be the next in line there. He 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 looked apart last week, and that's like I said, that spot start against Wake Forest. He just needed to be stretched out a little bit more as a starter to go more than five innings. I think he threw eighty-eight pitches. So, yeah. But I mean, and and the bullpens get like Wyatt was out for a couple of weeks. He's still working his way back into shape, and and like he's an elite guy. If he's healthy, he's elite. Um, so that just makes the bullpen that much deeper. Um, Jay Wolfick, I think I think everyone is surprised by just how effective Jay Wolfick has been. I think uh, Tony Elliott's surprised. I think Brian O'Connor's surprised. I don't know necessarily if Jay Wolfick's surprised, but I think they're surprised at just how much he um, he has helped them out of the bullpen and just been another power arm out of the bullpen and just made made the bullpen that much deeper yeah. too. And Brian O'Connor's best teams have always had deep bullpens. He's a former relief pitcher. He loves power arms out of the bullpen. So yeah, that's, yeah, and Jake can sling that's it. another sign to me. Yeah, for sure. When he he's can, getting he up there around like 97, 98. Um, yeah. He, All right, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, admit some, some ignorance here, which, you know, people who listen to this podcast for four and some odd episodes would probably not be surprised about, but uh, all right. I don't know what the what the situation is nationally uh, among you know the top players in the country. Convince me that Jake Geloff is not like in the top 
10, top five. Like the dude, the the numbers he's putting up. I mean, did they make some sort of change to the bats and the baseballs? Like, what in the hell is going on? Like now, he, yeah, he to me is one of the very much beneficiaries of the way the coaches are. He's the one who used the phrase "let the boys play" when I asked him about it a few weeks ago. After uh, I guess that was after the BC series, so last week, two weekends ago now. But yeah, he's one of the guys who they're just letting letting it rip. They're letting tap and rip. But no, you're right. Like he's. I mean, I it's it's not like I'm waking up every morning and studying the 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 statistics from every player in the country, but I mean, like he's he's right, you know, all the home runs, all the RBI. At one point, he had, I know the gap has closed, but at one point, he had like nine more RBI than anybody else in the That's country. Wild, yeah, like so, and he's hitting, you know, he's hitting 400. He's, he's hitting 470. I think it is something like that. And he's, and it's not just that he, he, he feasted on like some really, you know, subpar competition early in the season. And now things have, I mean, he's continued to do it. I mean, he, he continues to do it no matter who they, you know, they throw at him. It's, it's actually incredibly remarkable. The, the, the run he's on. And certainly for folks who aren't paying attention yet, um, if, if this kid keeps that up, um, I mean, my goodness, I don't even know where that, you know, what that looks like if he can, you know what I mean? He's hitting 440, by the way, not 470. That's uh, all. That's yeah, all. Sorry. Yeah. This is such a he went, oh, he went like one for three or something like that. And his batting, like when you go one for three and your batting average drops, you know, you're, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But they no, got to get him like... into a, they got to get him into some sort of showdown in the ACC tournament with Tommy tanks. <laughs> Since I've been here, he has 13 home runs. I'm pretty sure that since I've been here and 2012 was my first baseball season, I'm pretty sure only one player has hit more. And that was 14 by uh, Hazley in 20. Yeah. So like, like Davenport yeah, like, field isn't exactly conducive to like a lot of home runs. I feel like no, it, it gets, it gets that way later in the season. Yeah. When it gets warmer. more humid. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things Oak has talked about how it's been a, a, a warm spring. And so the ball has carried more. Um, and that he says that's another reason why, but I mean, like some of those home runs, I mean, you see, they're not Jake even Ellis, close. Like, yeah. Jake Ellis clearing the clubhouse. Alex Tappan's clearing this, this left field seats. Like those balls would be gone if it were 30 degrees or 80 degrees. Yeah. So how, how much yeah. fun is it Damon to, to, you know, to, to cover a team? I mean, I'm trying to think of like a, um, like an analog for me. Like even some of Tony's best teams, I don't know if maybe the one that was like twenty five and or like third. No, they were like twenty nine and two. I guess that was the UMBC season, right? There were there was just three losses. They did right? that twice too. They in twenty fifteen they yeah. they were like twenty eight and two or whatever. And just, the year Justin, Justin got Anderson hurt. got hurt. Yeah, yeah. No, to be honest with you, the most fun like, and this is going to sound really like, but the most fun part about covering this baseball team this year is the games are only taking like three hours, <laughs> like. Like some of those games, like last, yeah, last night's game was a bit of a slog. Some uh, college baseball games can be pretty bad. Yeah, like the college and, World Series games where like the stakes are really high, it's just it feels like it takes forever for people to pitch. And like, like last night's changes. game, last night's game is three and a half hours, and it was like a drag. Like, and that used to be like probably like a, an average game for UVA. Like Carl uh, Kays, the former pitching coach, he would drag things down. Uh, but the, it's crazy. One of the reasons the game has sped up this year is because 
the pitchers and catchers wear like watches now and the pitching coach wears it. And he like, it's like, I don't know if they're like, I haven't actually seen them. They were just telling me about it. But like the pitching coach sends the pitch in like a code and the catcher and the pitcher get that code on their watches simultaneously. And they just like, if you watch, it doesn't take nearly, because that's one of the things that used to drag the games down was. Yeah. So the pitcher K, doesn't even really need signals. Exactly. Like, like just, K's yeah. would signal the pitch into the catcher. A catcher would I'm, signal. I'm going to need Damon. I'm going to need some sort of investigative series on yeah, this. Oh no, that's, that's this coming is incredible. Up and, don't worry. That's, that's that, on that the, this uh, is incredible. Like that's what? on the like yeah. how, how have I not heard about this? That's amazing. Like what what's what's hysterical to me though is that we can we can have pictures with watches that give you signs, but we still can't get football helmets with uh with radios so that the quarterbacks can hear the, the call. Cor- yeah. You that know? should be the or why can't the quarterback get a Fitbit or whatever with a hey, there we go. You know, just maybe th- yeah. Throw that thing in there. Um all right, so they go they get they get uh Georgia Tech this weekend. Uh, they get their midweek series against Liberty. They go to Miami. Um, they got to go to Pittsburgh. Obviously, a lot of games left that, that series in Charlottesville with Carolina, um, and of course Virginia Tech. After there, uh, there's a lot of obviously a lot of baseball left to play. Um, yeah, but in in general, I mean, when you're when when things are going this good, realistically, like all you're doing is hoping that they continue to go this well. You know, what I mean, like it's just like. It's like having a big lead and a, and a lot of time on the clock. It's like, all right, this is gonna this these last like seventeen minutes are gonna feel like a long time. Um, what's next? Um, I mean, like, how do you, I mean? It seems ridiculous to ask. You know, how can a team this good get better? But I'm gonna ask, how can a team get this good get better? Well, I think that I mean, I think the most important thing is they got to stay healthy. The pitching yeah. has to stay healthy. That's always like such a that's where things can go sideways in a hurry in baseball. And, and at some point, at some point, somebody like Oak said it best at somebody, some, at some point, somebody's going to punch them in the mouth. Uh, that's just the nature of um, baseball, baseball is like that. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the ACC. It's just kind of the nature of it. Somebody's going to come in hot or they're going to go somewhere and struggle uh, and they're going to get punched in the mouth. And then we'll see how they kind of respond from that. Uh, that, that has not really happened. To this point, I mean, the the loss on Sunday at Wake was 8-1 was the final. That's obviously their biggest loss of the season. Again, they only have two of them. But but yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech will be big. Georgia Tech's a team that uh, I think they're four and five to start in the ACC. They uh, th- this is a chance for them to to get some momentum here, get something going. Uh, so yeah, so we'll see. Miami's right there with them in the in the coastal right now. I think they're both seven and two on top of the division, so that'll be a big one. And going down there, uh, UVA always does okay down there for the most part, off the top of my head. But like they do better than I anticipate they will going down there. So I don't know. Late this season will be interesting. That trip to Louisville to end the regular season is going to be huge because Louisville's like twenty and five. They're playing really good too. So we'll see if both of those teams. Uh, are still where they are now when we get to mid-May or when, whatever those dates are. But that that one's going to be huge. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's playing okay. They're under 500 in the ACC. They only played one game last weekend because of the weather out in, uh, out in South Bend. So I'm still trying to get a feel for just – who they are. They got off to a hot start last year and then kind of faded. And so, so I don't know. We'll see. There's like, but, but I mean, your point is 
is the point that there's a lot of baseball to be played, but they have certainly built a foundation. Oak's best teams have done this. Maybe not to this extreme, maybe not 23 and two, but, um, but Oak's best teams have started really strong and then just kept it going and built off of that. So again, this team, this team seems to have all of the best features of those of those quintessential early 2010s, late 2000s uh, UVA teams that, that are like the Brian O'Connor glory days. So we'll see. Glory days. All right. Uh, I think that's a, before I start singing, uh, I think it's a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Um, we will be back next week. We, we, we hopefully, I don't know if we're, we're not going to have a full crew because there's a Wednesday night baseball game next week. So maybe the weekend after week after that, we might have something different uh, for you. But should be, uh, uh, you know, give us a week and we'll see where things are. We'll, we, I, I have no doubt we're going to have a lot to discuss. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And uh, if you're still inclined to give us a rating and review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, you have, haven't given us a look at the website, you can check us out, CavsCorner.com. We uh, Damon's got a couple of baseball stories up there. He mentioned Barry earlier. He, he did one on the um, the depth sort of being boosted by the first years. Um, spring ball says so lots of stuff there. Recaps with Biscuit. Recaps with Touje and uh, Derek Devine. Um, the couple of recruiting features out there. The the Lee kid from twenty three from South Carolina hoping to get an offer. Um, caught up with the Westfall kid who's massive, the 2024 offensive lineman. So lots to uh, to digest. Um, and I mentioned the aforementioned uh, video about with, uh, excuse me, with uh, Lavelle Davis. Let's see. I want to thank uh, MyPerfectFranchise.net for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. And I also want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, I want to thank Ferber and Damon for giving graciously their time, as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So, for Justin Ferber, Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatchCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. Hey.